Hello and welcome back to Hero with a Thousand Potions, a gaming podcast where two game likers examine the storytelling and gameplay of popular niche RPGs in a book club-like format. My name's Tyler. I'm Nate. Robotic Nate there. It's season two. We're covering Final Fantasy VII Remake and its parallel content in the original game, originally released back in 1997. Today, we are finally parting ways with chapter eight, starting chapter nine, getting right back into it. Cloud and Aerith are going to uh, navigate the collapsed expressway of sector six as a means to get back to sector seven. Uh, and uh, let's see if that actually does happen. Of course, if you play the original, you know that that's not exactly the case. Nate, how you doing, man? I'm good. And you even mentioning the term collapsed expressway, was that like a, a revelation to you in, in remake here? Because that's not how the scenery of OG originally registered with me, but looking back on it, that's absolutely what it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does look like uh, anonymous collapsed construction site number 2025. Yeah. But yeah, the way we navigate it in, in Remake, it does feel that way. It, we'll get right into the description eventually. But yeah, it isn't dressed up as such in uh, an original, is it? No. Anyway, yeah, your, your question how I'm doing, um, I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, I've added a third vertical to this analysis of ours. We're, we're doing Final Fantasy VII Remake. We're doing Final Fantasy VII Original, or OG as we like to call it. And now we're doing Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis. Yay! No, we're not actually going to do that. Okay, fine. Yeah, we won't, we, I, we won't hold ourselves to doing Ever Crisis. You know why? Because it's a gotcha game. Oh no, Nate. Yeah, and you know, I, I always think it's funny, the term gotcha. It's a Japanese term because it's very popular. The vending machines where you put a coin in and you get the little ball with the toy in it. Those are called gotcha machines because the sound they make is literally gotcha. And so they, they call them that, the uh, the sound that it makes when you turn the, the little knob to get the toy out of it. But for me, in America, it comes off as gotcha, like screw you, idiot, for uh, rolling the dice on potentially getting something you wanted. But when I went to Japan, I did interact with a single gotcha machine because I wanted to just say that I had. So I put a coin in and I got a little keychain Goku Super Saiyan Blue action figure about the size like smaller than a quarter he's tiny and he has a giant head but i now can say that i've officially used the japanese gotcha machine in in the flesh in the flesh nate i'm gonna do you one better i've got a fourth vertical for us in this in this season here uh, recently i bought the three kazushige nojima novels that's final fantasy 7 on the way to a smile final fantasy 7 the kids are all right a turks side story and the third one, Final Fantasy VII Remake, so Remake Timeline, wink wink, Traces of Two Pasts. And and I'm planning on reading each of them. Um, when I finish one of them, I'm going to just speak a little bit about it before we get into the meat of the next episode. It's not going to be this episode, it could be the next one, because I'm about three quarters of the way through. The kids are all right. And, and I'll just talk a little bit about it and give folks kind of an idea of where it is in the timeline, uh, the general premise, and some of the characters that are going to be new, and the format and how I feel about it. Kazushige Nojima wrote lots of Square Enix Final Fantasy franchise titles, including Final Fantasy VII oh. and its spinoffs, Advent Children, Crisis Core... 
uh, has also done FF8, FF10, X2, Kingdom Hearts series. Oh, oh God. And this is the same guy that wrote the original lyrics to the Liberi Fatale Final Fantasy A Jam and Suteke. Suteki de Dane and the Hymn of the Faith for Final Fantasy X. I learned that uh, Japanese music has different scales via the song Suteki Dane because uh, of the fact that when she delivers the line Da, it's Da. And that's like typically flat in American scales, but uh, it's absolutely not. That's considered pleasing in the scales of Japanese, traditional Japanese music. Strange. I know that Indian music has, uh, un- I don't know if I'll say unusual, but uh, wildly complex keys. Because there's only like 13 keys in, in Western music. I'll just describe it that way clumsily. But uh, it's much more nuanced when you've got a sitar on your lap. I'll give you a brief rundown of Ever Crisis for you, Tyler. I mean, I've I've told you a little bit, but um, we'll let our listeners in on it. Yeah, lay it on me, man. So you, you hop in the game and you're introed with like this nonsensical battle that never happened, where Cloud and Sephiroth are fighting inside a reactor and they're doing all their most crazy high level moves. And then halfway through the fight, Cloud transforms into Zack. And uh, they do battle, and it's kind of teaching you like how to push the buttons in the game. And then, it, are you serious? Yeah, it's almost like a dream match. Fighting game fans will know what that is. It's like a, a Smash Brothers kind of thing where they just they pit together. Okay, your, I, I'm taking it too seriously. Yeah, potentially. I don't know. They might come back later and say this is absolutely a real thing that's happening in the timeline. Fine. With that, once you get in past that intro and you get into the game, you're playing Final Fantasy VII OG as the content. And the marketing for this was all like essentially that it's another remake, except this time you're getting the traditional remake you wanted of like an HD up-res upscale of the original game. That was the marketing for it. And then they said, but you're not just getting that. You're getting that of Crisis Core as well. And you're getting that for our now shuttered first soldier game too. So it's like this dream package of all of the Final Fantasy VII compilation potentially re like done in the mm-hmm. OG top down chibi based uh, format. And so it was really tantalizing. But my review of it is it just doesn't it, it doesn't make the cut. It has its moments. For me, it's got some little nice things, but it's it's almost like a greatest hits album of Final Fantasy VII, for example, because they skip a lot of content. They like even the first bombing mission reactor is essentially just a couple screens cut down from the already scant amount of screens that were in the original game. And they they kind of combine dialogues together. They get rid of certain aspects. When you're doing the escape with the timer, there's just like it's automated where it's just a scene where you run up to Jesse, you pick her up, and the clock is at six minutes there. And then later they the screen fades to black. Next scene, the clock's now at one minute. You didn't do anything, you didn't play anything in that time. And so mm. it's it's really got a lot of like cut content missing from the original and um it kind of reminds me the the closest comparison i can give is when the original gundam series got recut down into three movies they cut like 
20 hours worth of footage from it so you could still get the gist of the story from seven if you play ever crisis but you're going to be missing a lot of like the characterization and flavor to it and then so i did that first um bombing mission and got through that it it was charming it was cute and then you get hit with all of the ads for the outfit packages and five-star weapons and promotional crystal like bonuses and everything to the point where I was I was like doing this on live on stream and at it was probably like five minutes I was just spam clicking through menus of look at this hey do you want this do you want that and like they'd play a video of cloud and like samurai armor with this giant even more ridiculous sword than his normal one doing a thousand slashes against a behemoth and i'm just like okay i get it guys you know there's freaky looking shit for me to buy in the store and so that was super off-putting but i think the the worst taste that left in my mouth is the fact that the like new chibi character models they made are genuinely like amazing looking super charming. They're more akin to like what you see in final fantasy nine, you know how Mm, that kind mm -hmm. of perfected the, the PlayStation one era chibi model. And especially when you play that in like HD nowadays, you get that feeling of like, this is the super Nintendo Sprite brought into a 3d world. So there's a lot of places where Ever Crisis just looks amazing. And then in boss fights, you're fighting like when I fought Airbuster, they're using the model from Remake. And when I they had a Reno fight in there too, and they're playing the music from the Reno fight, but you're doing this all in like a turn-based AT a turn-based ATB system RPG, and it leaves this taste in your mouth of like, this could be actually be a full game if you guys would just fucking hmm. do it you know like oh my god i would love this everything looks and feels so good when it is like actually doing what it's supposed to do when i'm not playing the gotcha game when i'm not skipping through or blowing through scenes that were important to me back in the day it's really actually pretty good. And I think like the capstone is when you do Tifa's uh, somersault limit break, the cinematic quality and like the sound effects and how they deliver it, it just looks so fucking good. And I'm like, God damn guys, I wish this wasn't what it was. I wish it was a real game and who knows they might do that down the road. But if they don't add that additional content back in, I, I don't, know that it's ever going to really hit or deliver on that experience so i was when i started this thinking you know i could kind of analyze this as a third vertical but now after doing basically to up to where we are in our analysis of og and remake in ever crisis i'm like it's it's just there's nothing really else to glean from it for the most part when we spoke about it privately you had a lot of good things to say about the ost right so when and we'll talk a lot about this today. There's some OST shit going on in Remake that we really need to address. But whatever Crisis is doing is it's just doing modern updates of the songs, not really like reinterpreting them or providing new flourishes or flares to them, just using actual instruments to play the songs we know and love. And is the baseline for that OG OST or Remake OST? OG OST. So when, when you uh, land in the church with Aerith, it's like they're using actual church bells to play the chime 
and, and it just sounds amazing, but it doesn't sound like a different song or it doesn't sound like a quote unquote remix. It just sounds like the song, mm-hmm. like an HD version of the song, if you will. So that's pretty amazing. And then there are times where they just straight up use the track from remake like with the reno fight i could tell there is no original song because there was no original reno fight in the church so they just ripped the one from remake and i'm fine with that sure sure so do you see yourself completing the game i am actually going to progress so that i can see the narrative content from first soldier i just want to see what they have to say about that game even if that is also like a truncated greatest hits version you know what i'm okay with that i didn't want to play a battle royale like phone game anyway so i'm gonna keep going until i've digested all of that and see where i land at that point and then if it's like you know i'm I'm not hooked at that point then i'm okay with just being totally done nate is it a flex to complete a gotcha game without leaning into the gotcha stuff in spite of all of the like the time locked content or the the railroading or the or you know navigating the the forest of advertisements to get back into content what if you just like persevered and got all the way through it anyways in spite of what what uh, ever crisis has done mm. to our franchise i guess i feel a little prejudiced about gotcha games because of its inherent gotcha mechanics yeah i think like I'll pull on my hearthstone experience a little bit in my process with that was getting into the game and engaging it with that same mentality of like, I'm not going to spend any money. Right. And then you get involved and you get engrossed in it. And then you realize, okay, well I might spend a little bit of money because it's not all that much money. Right. And I, I want to, I want to see if I can do this build I want to do or that I've been thinking about. And I can just use the Blizz bucks by using Warcraft gold to buy it anyway. So yeah, I will, uh, I will, pour a little bit of money into the game and then a new season comes out and everything you did was invalidated and there's a whole new tier of things to collect and everything so eventually you just i think even for me i tried that process with hearthstone of i'm not gonna spend any money and eventually you just either break down or it's like i can't do what i want to do so i hit i'm gonna hit that wall right and i don't know that i've had an experience of a game that is fully satisfying in that respect without reaching that layer of like, okay, I need to invest a little bit now. I need to engage a little bit, except that then they like, I quit Hearthstone and years later they just introduced their free battlegrounds mode. So now I just play that and I don't even care about the traditional card game whatsoever in Hearthstone. And I just say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to just play the free stuff. So if ever crisis can give a, amount of content to do that you never really need to engage the polls or the gotcha or the promotions or whatever and you don't care about tifa being in a bikini and red and red 13 wearing a beach shirt and sunglasses then maybe there's something there for you i bear in mind red 13 in a sailor's uniform is canon getting back into remake here so the chapter begins well it might begin with that vision that we described at the end of the previous episode but anyways let's just say that it begins here where we enter the collapsed expressway as we move from sector five to sector six in search of sector seven slums we have to pass through the collapsed expressway now in this case it's going to be something like a dungeon in remake and it's well i think it's a single screen although very labyrinthine in original but the lore of the collapsed expressway is that over the course of 
Midgar's, I don't know, eight years of development that a piece of the Sector 6 plate fell to the Earth below. And according to the Final Fantasy VII Remake Material Ultimania, this occurred on mm, year seven out of eight of its development here. And I'm just going to read right off the page. Weight in excess of its load bearing capacity is thought to be the cause of the plate number six fall. Fortunately, immigration to sector six has not started and there are few casualties, although the area under the plate becomes impassable due to debris. Restoration of the area is delayed when Shinra does not allocate any funds for that purpose. At the start of the game, the area is still in ruins, the collapsed expressway included. And then adjacent to that paragraph is a diagram of Midgar where there's a big red like sunburst, like a shock uh, hovering over a piece of the pie. And it describes that it isn't the entire plate that fell. It is the, the crust side of the pizza slice, not the pointy end that fell. And so coming into more of the interior of the plate, that remains undisturbed. That's what we have to pass through, this rubble, this collapsed expressway from the top, now at the bottom, is all in, it's all in broken pieces of highway that are all like toppled up on top of each other. And there's like broken up columns of concrete and twists of rebar and tunnels and ladders and machinery and uh, industrial loaders that we're going to get into momentarily uh, that we have to pass through. While this whole kind of synopsis we just laid out here is never expressly stated in OG Final Fantasy VII, it is absolutely the reality of what happened because in the Shinra building, there is a model of Bidgar where it shows the fact that Sector six is like not existing as a plate. And it, it even has, I remember like a big crack through it or something in, in that section of the model, implying that something happened in sector six. And I always thought like, oh, that was displaying sector seven. But if you count them, it's, it's showing that that was sector six, that that happened to. You mentioned the people had only just started moving in. So there wasn't a lot of casualties. And so the fact that like, oh, there, there wasn't a ton of casualties below, there wasn't a ton, a ton of casualties above. Again, it's making Midgar into this giant mystery to me of like, we talked about this previously in the last chapter, but I'm going to elaborate just a little bit more if you will indulge in my questioning. So, uh, so, so just imagine, you know, a giant corporation is like saying, hey, we're going to build a big city in the sky, right? And so the first question you have to ask is why? Like, what is wrong with the ground here, you know? And we've kind of theorized that, like, this was a city before. No one remembers the names of the cities that were below that game. So you think, okay, overpopulation, urban sprawl, whatever. They start building upward. But this synopsis of, well, no one was really living here before, kind of negates that, right? Yeah, the sources aren't very consistent. Uh, we've, hear, we've heard it that, you know, no one's heard of these towns and the towns are not exactly there anymore, although you might see a church here or there, right? But then other in other places you hear the slums gathered around Midgar. And so in my head canon, before getting remake, you know, back in the day, just playing OG, I had it in my head that the lower area, the slums, the below the plate was where there was this kind of industrial age society that existed for, you know, decades, kind of an early America, if you will. And as the industrial age exploded and population and popularity and everything, Midgar just kind of 
happened as a necessity over what I thought would be hundreds of years. But it seems like just in the middle of nowhere, Shinra decided, let's make this giant monolith pizza thing in the sky, even before people live here. That's the biggest thing of like, how do you convince people like, hey, move from across the world to our giant city in the sky. Why isn't the city on the ground? I don't know. I don't know about that, but there was a a large amount of Mako energy beneath where they built Midgar. Sure. Do they need to do that because they're going to... Basically, the Mako is going to kill the surrounding area, and they know that ahead of time. So they know they're going to, like desertize the place and that's why the plate exists that's one explanation that makes some sense that makes some sense the second question i have though is how midgar is this massive steel titan and its underbelly is endless miles of steel garbage so how did they accumulate all of this stuff in like 40 to 50 years like can you imagine manufacturing everything that was Midgar at that time and what it would take to do it. And I'll give an example of something that is tiny in comparison to the scale of Midgar. That is the USS Gerald R. Ford, of which I am grossly familiar with at this point, inside and out. That began construction in 2005, and it started its first deployment four months ago. So it took 18 years to build one navy ship in the richest potentially most industrialized country in mankind's history with the largest military budget on earth so again the fantasy of midgar is a huge stretch for me in this case of like how did this place come to exist so we were chatting before you said you might have a potential explanation of that accelerated pace and ability to create this mechanized monstrosity what is that explanation you and i and i don't think anybody knows how long it takes the planet of gaia to rotate around the sun Mm, right that that is interesting Mm. i'm going to give you a counterpoint there's a certain dude named sephiroth who when you're fighting him at the end of the game of og he summons a like a beam of light yeah yeah that just destroys planets and gaia is for all intents and purposes earth within our solar system because he crashes through saturn jupiter mars and then arrives at quote unquote gaia but i think it's even called fucking just earth right in the game this isn't a position i feel like defending (laughs) (laughs) i know anyway but you know there's there's a lot of suspension of disbelief going on nate i can speak to uh some other reasons why midgar is in the sky and not on the ground sure so um when you pump mako out of the ground um you deforest the area and monsters are attracted to this wasteland and so being above ground puts distance between the city and the monsters. I'm also reading here that Midgar being in the sky, you are isolating the populace from the effects of the changes of the environment. I guess being monsters is already one of them. And also uh, segregating the city into sectors fosters competition by establishing different standards of living. I buy that. I accept that. Okay, that's a great. I'm glad I asked the question because now we have answers. So finally, 
with the established history of the plate fall, Tyler, you and I were having a chat. I'm a Shinra like salesman and you live out in calm or you're working on the chocobo farm. Okay. I say, Hey, Hey Tyler, we're building a city in the sky. Also, one of the pieces just randomly fell off. Don't worry about it. You should still come and live here. Are you going to move to that city? I bet the money's pretty good. I bet if you're a... I bet the city is becoming its own city-state. It's becoming an economic powerhouse. I believe that Shinra Company needs a large labor force for construction, for managing the Mako reactors, for organizing the city, and for, you know, all the conventional sociological reasons why, you know, how society exists. We need policemen, we need mailmen, we need doctors, we need lawyers, we need engineers, and, and things like that. And so I'm thinking that there's a lot of money that Shinra has, and they're just, they just need bodies to fill these positions. And if if I'm a laborer, if I'm pitchforking hay for overgrown chickens and probably for not very much money, I'm thinking, well, maybe I can make a better life for myself if I head out to Midgar. So you gamble on living on a giant sky pizza that could potentially fall over at any moment. You have to believe that there's a propaganda campaign hot on the heels of that accident. Sure, sure. So if you come to my house and there's a pizza on the table and I say, help yourself. And as you move to grab a slice, you notice one of slices is missing. And I say, oh, right. Yeah. My roommate ate that piece and then died. <laughs> Do you grab another slice? I don't know if that's the, uh, if that's a comparable analogy, but I will answer your question anyways. I uh, no, I wouldn't. I don't think I would eat that slice. I would go, um, okay. What the hell are you doing, man? Okay. I think Midgar has a recruitment population problem in my universe, but Hey, here we are. Shinra just needs to fire somebody, find a few forms men find a few associates low level fire them explain that they're fired on on state sponsored media and tell them we've got new new people in charge and it'll never happen again and five months later it's water under the bridge mako under the pipe actually you're making a very good point because that's exactly what happens in america and nobody gives a shit so yeah i'm okay i'm coming around (laughs) i can move on Right. Circling back to our heroes, Aerith describes Wall Market to Cloud. He's never heard of this place before. We're probably going to stop by there um, on the way because it's dangerous in between here and there. And it makes for a good rest stop, (laughs) bathroom break. I don't know. Aerith says that there's inns, shops, bars, and more that attracts outlaws, entrepreneurs, and creeps. This is the Moss Isley of Midgar. This is the Las Vegas of Midgar. This is the ugly butthole of Midgar. This is the 4chan of Midgar. This is where decency goes to die in Midgar. If everything's for sale and if you've got the cash, if you've got the gill or if you've got the skin, you can uh, get probably get what you want. It's an interesting place. And uh, Cloud doesn't know how he feels about that, but but we still have to cross over. And so it's a fun little conversation we had before we embark on our, our adventure. Well, actually, they say that they're not going to go there because Aerith knows a shortcut to get to the Sector 7 wall without having to pass through Wall Market itself. So that's initially the pitch in OG as well. We don't know that we're going to be going to Wall Market. We're on the road to Sector 7 as we set out here. I forgot that. Thank you, Nate. She asks Cloud, like, oh, you know all about this stuff, right? Kind of as you know dialogue within the uh, the narrative here. But Cloud says he actually enlisted in the army like right after moving to Midgar. So he didn't really live here in the city. So her 
explanations of things is helpful to him because we're him, the player. We might not know about uh, Walmart. So thanks, Aerith. She also uh, kind of gives a description on how Walmart formulated that back when Midgar was being built, this was where people kind of hung out. It, it kind of naturally sprung up as a hub for the market needs of people the laborers down below and then hmm. the 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 uh what's the the criminals and the exploitative people kind of moved into the area and shinra really didn't intervene as things got worse and worse they just kind of walled it in they didn't really worry about law enforcement because from shinra's perspective it's like well once the plate's done you know fuck this place who gives a shit <laughs> Right, we'll save our law enforcement money for the place that really matters up top. So, um, this to me is a little bit of a recontextualization to say that it's like this walled in lawless zone because, in OG, from my understanding, it's just the wall to Sector 7, it's a market that is along the wall, you know. Mm-hmm. We get to the wall, we go a screen over, and there is the market. And even beyond that, if you go to the back of wall market, there's another wall that we end up scaling at some point in OG. So that was always my perception of it. There wasn't no, there wasn't this idea that it's like this walled-in lawless zone. For me, it was just kind of like all of the slums are kind of in this state, and this is just a slum market. This is what you're going to get. When you're down below and you go to a shopping district, it's going to be kind of like this instead of this this idea that it's like a, a gang area, you know, mm-hmm. granted, there is a gang that operates out of it. But I didn't really get this idea that the slums are different because when we're traversing slum life in OG, we'll be in Aerith's neighborhood and run into muggers. We're in Aerith's neighborhood hearing the CD downtrodden music, whereas they really kind of do away with all of that and remake Air's neighborhood is nice they've got schools kids are running around with wooden swords on their backs only occasionally needing to be saved from mechs running amok from mercenaries Uh, so i think that this is kind of a purposeful change to the overall um landscape of the slums because they want the slums to be seen less as everything is wall market and so I, I think this is pretty deliberate to do something completely different in this case. Oh, I agree. I agree. Don't know if I want to say more about that if we just keep going through the expressway. Yeah, the expressway is Aerith's secret path to get to Sector 7. So probably not the main path most people use, but she's she's got her bodyguard. She's got her guy. So she's, she's probably feeling pretty confident that she can deal with the road less traveled. <laughs> the road more crumbled as we navigate the collapsed expressway we're going to engage in a couple puzzles in which nate you remember that uh that hydraulic arm with the hand from the from the original uh fmv yes yes well we get to play with it now if you played original you recognize this open ro- giant robotic hand lying on the ground on this one screen zone that you pass through well now we get to interact with it here in remake of course you know that <laughs> the way forward requires access to these ladders that haven't been uh completely telescoped out for for us to reach in order to do that we let Aerith hop aboard these shipping containers which the large hands grab and you move over and the puzzle is a matter of whether Aerith goes on it or not 
where the hand goes and whether the hand should pick up the shipping container and put it here or there. And you go through it three or four times with moderately increasing difficulty. They're not extraordinary head scratchers, although the thing that I keep scratching my head about is that um, Aerith won't get out of the fucking way. <laughs> So there are these specific zones where you are allowed to drop the shipping container and she's standing right under it sometimes. Now, technically, that's the game telling you that we want it's providing steerage for what they want you to do or and things like that. But if I could just bop her out of the way with the shipping container, she would probably go flying <laughs> 40 feet and break her fucking tailbone. So maybe just step out of the way pretty pleased so we can pass through this dangerous area and stop wasting my time. But that doesn't happen. Nate, how did you feel about this puzzle? It gave me very OG Final Fantasy VII vibes, even though this wasn't in OG Final Fantasy VII, the addition of little pace-breaking minigames to kind of get you away from the idea that it's just running down a hallway and getting into fights over and over. So I liked it, and as always, the much like the um, kind of the the underplate maintenance area before sector five, every little side action has the opportunity for a piece of materia or something that if you go above and beyond, you can move a platform or reposition something to get an extra reward, or you can just plow straight through and ignore them. So it's got those little touches as well. Interesting thing about the hands is that they're not like our hands where at the kind of, fully extended upright oh, angle, yeah, your, yeah, your yeah. extension stops. The fingers can bend fully backward and essentially be a hand facing the other direction without having to turn completely. So um, there's a little bit, I could see if, when these things are functioning as intended, they probably are pretty good at moving freight containers, albeit I would still think that just a giant magnet and the types of, I don't know what the word is, the like, pulley system we have for moving our shipping containers probably still works better but hey we're we're in fantasy land here so they're cool i i thought the segment it was short enough that it wasn't too frustrating or pace killing for me it was over just around the time it might have overstayed its welcome it was already done we had done three sets of them so uh it was cool i liked it Three sets, each marked by a weird high-five interaction between Cloud and Aerith. We are using these large hands to grab large things and move Aerith around. And we're also using our hands to fuck up our high-fives or miss the moment and funny things like that, too. It, I, I don't think that there's a specific, like, theme of hands that they're trying to do between this zone, but it just seems so strange that there's, that there's hand stuff going on. There's hand stuff going on in this zone, man. There's a lot of hand stuff going on. This whole chapter is all about hands <laughs> i think we found our episode title yeah <laughs> yeah so like you said high five number one cloud leaves Aerith hanging high five number two cloud tries but she doesn't expect it she's over the moment and so she misses her window and she's like oh no did i shoot and he's he's just like i yeah, forget it don't worry about it because he's embarrassed now and then high five number three they link up high five up top she says and you have to hold down the triangle button. Like, you know how in games where there's like a loading sequence and you have to like charge the button and there's like a little 
circle filling as you're like pushing a door open well in this case cloud is slowly methodically raising his hand positioning aiming because he does not want to fuck up the third attempt and you do indeed get a audible clap it, it was a successful <laughs> high five you channel the triangle button an equal amount of time between doing this high five and like i don't know shoving a giant bookcase out of the way in the upper areas of the church or or sliding this giant thing out of the way in the sector five garbage patch yes so silly that like that's the contextual button for here is mm. yeah in final fantasy 16 they do this for like a lot of doors because it's clear that it's a loading moment and so i've started just grunting audibly into the mic every time so when there's <laughs> i think in 16 it's like hold r2 or something and he's pushing and the bar is filling and i just sit there and i go <laughs> into the mic every time <laughs> yeah exactly oh my god this whole area has a lot of different musical entries um we get a song completely new track aptly named collapsed expressway very clever title mm-hmm. uh, it is by mitsuto suzuki it's a modern kind of chill track with accents of what i'd call traditional asian instrumentation in it and um it then when you get into fights the track kind of transitions similar in tone, but to more of like an EDM banger that I did not expect this, but it in the credits it's listed as being made by Uematsu himself. Hmm. I love it. It was great. And I, w- I was surprised that it's like, Oh, that's him. And kind of halfway through the track, if your battle lasts that long, you get a vocal accompanying it of like an angelic tone of people singing along to the melody. And it's kind of like if Ridge Racer was set in heaven. It's the best way I can describe it. I love Ridge Racer music. I always have. And so think think about that. Have you not? Never played Ridge Racer, although I've heard good things about it. It's a classic. Maybe I'll, I'll send you. It's in the PS1 uh, unhacked series of default games yeah it takes some time to get its uh wheels i was gonna say legs but it takes its <laughs> time to get its uh traction that's a better term sure i would say ridge racer type 4 is an incredible game and then uh i think it's uh, there's just one for ps2 that was like absolutely magical and then they got shitty after that for a while but whatever what i will say for how good this music is doesn't fit the setting at all because we're in these darkened runes. Now, this is an expressway and it's kind of domed in, right? Good point. It is. It does feel cavernous. Yes. Yeah. So you're in the darkness. You're like, and it's destroyed and it's destitute. So it's like this upbeat music doesn't really make necessary sense. The, the under the rotting pizza would make a lot more sense here, like the original, but you know what? I'm not going to complain because this is for all intents and purposes, even though it is represented in OG, this kind of is a new area. I'm just going to say that like it's expanded so much that I think we're getting something new here and that's fine. And lastly, I'll say at first I thought it was another Masashi Hamauzu track because it sounded so similar to, or at least the collapsed expressway song, not the, the battle banger. But, um, 
it sounded so similar to Final Fantasy 13 and all of the tracks from that game. And uh, I had that same observation when we were in the central railway pillar mm-hmm. earlier in this season. And it was wrong, or I was wrong. It was Mitsujo Suzuki, but I wasn't far off because he did the music for Final Fantasy 13, 2, and 3 with advisement from Hamauzu. So, yeah. As we navigate the expressway, we pick up more material that we haven't seen yet. I don't think so, at least. Binding materia. At level 1, you get to use the ability Sleep. At level 2, Silence. And at level 3, Berserk. Now, when Berserk isn't exactly a binding but there's a couple ways you can use it in battle. Now, you can use it on yourself, and conventionally in in Final Fantasy is when you are berserked, you lose control of your character, they can't cast spells, and they just auto-attack. But a strategy of using berserk is to use it on an enemy. Now, most of the time, you probably wouldn't want... Oh, I should point out that your attack damage power tends to be increased when you are berserked. Now, if you're going to use that on an enemy, most of the time, you probably wouldn't want to do that because... Well, you've increased their their damage output unless you happen to know that this particular enemy that you're berserking is a caster. You've effectively silenced them. Not only that, you've compelled them to come into melee range to damage you, which can be advantageous. It, it depends on how you want to use it. So that's blinding material. You also pick up magnifying material as well. And uh, at level one, you get a, what does it do? It, it like increases the area of effect of da- of abilities that you use. Like if you pair with healing material, it'll heal all allies. Um, fire material, it'll hit up to three enemies, things like that. Do you fuck around with these kind of extra status effect materials a lot? I find that at least in these, the more action focused the games get, the more I kind of divert away from using these kinds of, things and maybe i'm an idiot for doing that maybe that's a way to really game the system in this case no i don't think so you've got to feel this way too so in the i don't know the golden age of video games we were playing in the super nintendo and ps1 ps2 eras you earned these spells like sleep and silence and shit like that you can use them in regular battles and they're effective on normal enemies but the quickest way to finish a battle is just more damage, not these contextual status effect spells. Now, they would be more useful in boss battles, but in Super Nintendo and PS1 and, and fill-in-the-blank system, classic systems, bosses are invulnerable to sleep, silence, berserk, things like that. They should be vulnerable to that because boss battles are, of course, going to be longer, and so you can make more use out of this effect that'll last multiple turns whereas but most but, but usually they're not they're not vulnerable to it but they are vulnerable in the in the itty bitty fights but you just want to slash your way through those I feel like you know binding material in final fantasy 7 remake my brain goes back to those days and go and goes well, i'm probably not going to use this because the path of least resistance tended to be just just you know auto attacking or using using conventional damage spells i feel like that's probably going to be the case here too without actually knowing if it is the case, or without even actually knowing if you can debuff bosses in Remake in a way that you could not in the original game and similar games like that. Sure, I've heard that that's one area where the, and I've experienced a little bit too by watching my wife play it, but that's an area where the Persona games are actually really interesting because a lot of the bosses have 
not necessarily totally rigid ways of beating them, but they're open to that kind of experimentation because if you just try and power your way through a lot of those uh, serious fights in that game, you'll just get your ass handed to you. And so you need to kind of pull out every tool in the toolbox and play around and find out what works to get your way at least your first time through the game you're going to be experimenting a lot so great yeah yeah so i i think that there are other rpg makers out there who have realized that fact of what you said of like well our bosses are going to be easy if we just let you fuck with them but also we can't make all of our standard enemies that hard either i feel a similar way you know when when you play as listeners will know, I'm a Warcraft stan, even though I think the game kind of sucks. <laughs> I still play it, right? But uh, the difference uh, of uh, playing something like World of Warcraft Classic over the modern day is in the modern day, you just kind of hit buttons and everything dies fast. And back in the day, when you got those additional abilities of like, oh, you can gouge an enemy like incapacitate them or or hit them with a cheap shot or something as a rogue or as a warrior you can hit a disarm or something because things were dangerous and they weren't dying immediately if you had two or three enemies on you you really wanted to use those debuffs on the ones that you weren't currently trying to kill so that your health doesn't just bleed out over the course of that fight so that you can sustain what you're doing and that's all kind of gone away because everything just got kind of just power through it like you're saying mm-hmm. and so um yeah i i feel that i think that that is a problem with final fantasies and people talk about like um you know how 13 had a auto battle mode or something and how the gambit system in 12 meant you weren't even playing the game and it's like would you rather hold down the circle button for an hour as you run around in circles to grind your characters? Because how engaging is that? Because it's exactly what you did in Final Fantasy VII when you wanted to level up or you were feeling underleveled. You ran around in a circle, got in a random battle, and then you held down the confirm button (laughs) for Cloud and Tifa and Barrett to blow shit up with their standard attack. And Mm -hmm. it worked. You didn't really need to do anything else. Never played 13. Can't speak to it. You played 12. So that was a huge criticism at the time was Mm. the auto battle, you know, and it's like, well, I found certain things about that in game way more interesting than some of the combat of older Final Fantasies. Sure. Sure. For that reason of actually using your debuffs and your mechanics well. Eventually the handsy kids are run into a campfire of red embers and black smoke. It's still warm, it turns out. Then we are waylaid by three clowns, Beck, Burke, and Butch. Now, they look a lot like the muggers from Final Fantasy VII Original. It's an enemy that you see... Before you get to the Sector 5 slums, if memory serves, Nate, you're invited to correct me. I I think of that, uh, you know, that meme image of Leonardo DiCaprio, like, snapping his fingers and pointing at the screen. I feel like there's a, there's a lot of moments in this chapter where you're like, that's the thing. That's from the original. I, I recognize that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so these are minor characters that we'll run into, and these ruffians take the rough shape of a of a battle sprite that you of a minor enemy that you see in original now they all have different body shapes and you can determine their body shape by their name beck burke and butch i'm not going to tell you who's who 
Just think about it <laughs> and you already know. They're giant dum-dums, Nate. Giant dum-dums. Yeah, there's this running joke of them using like really big words, like lawyer terms of uh, due recompense and compensatory damages. We were just passing through. Oh, a likely story. Uh. Okay, what do you want? Nothing but our due recompense, that's all. <laughs> due recompense, due recompense, due. due recompense. No shit for brains, due recompense. It's like, uh, it's like, uh, compensatory damages. I think we've heard enough. Essentially implying that you're the criminals and they're the upstanding citizens of the area. But then I think it's, is it Butch that kind of breaks the the farce and says we don't act we're idiots and we don't actually know what any of these terms mean i think he's the one idiot and he's the one that doesn't know what any of it means sure this isn't wall market but you're near wall market and you're off the beaten path so in this lawless zone that's been fostered they've kind of come up with all of their own rules and even they're too stupid to know what the, the rules are so they're trying to like do a shakedown yes They've got the idea of how the shakedown conversation is going to go, but they can't pull it off for shit. Sure. And to me, the joke just overstays its welcome a little too long. Don't you think? I'm glad it didn't last any longer. I'll, I'll just put it that way. For sure. I was going to say, I get an intense amount of satisfaction anytime in gameplay or media when like some dudes walk up to a, like a badass hero, right? But they think the badass hero is a loser so like they're gonna do their typical routine and then they just get their asses handed to them by the protagonist i i just i live for those moments it it happens a lot in dragon ball z and it's always satisfying when it does do recompense is the name of the remake song that is a variation of underneath the rotting pizza is that right oppressed people it's oppressed people yeah, that, I think that's OG's Wall Market song. Under the Rotting Pizza is the doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. Oh my god, you're right. It's oppressed people. Okay, well, I've got... Regardless, the so Do Recompense is probably one of the freshest uh, remixes of an OG song in the entire game. Nate, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I, <laughs> the, the way it hits right in that scene, it pops in the second combat starts with these idiots. And it it jumps in with uh, uh, oppressed people has this very iconic song where it starts out very jazzy, bluesy, downtrodden, and then there's this da, 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 from mm-hmm. a, a horn of some kind in MIDI format. Mm-hmm. It's iconic, right? And that's th- that just hits the second that combat starts, but it's like this weird. <laughs> edm version of it and i just i laughed my ass off the first time i heard it i was like oh my god what is this in in a good way i think i recall this having one of the bigger impressions on me uh when a song uh, comes on probably this one probably genova uh, the song genova and um i can't think of any others off the top of my head but uh highly enjoyable highly enjoyable jam if you don't have headphones or some sort of sound system that you can play this on i would say give it a shot or listen to it on spotify you can find the whole soundtrack on spotify so check it out and let the the full tones wash over you um it's interesting though that the original was like i said kind of jazz blues a little bit of like a 
a bebop club vibe to it in the the version that plays in OG's wall market but here this definitely has a like reggae makeover happening here there's this trickling guitar strumming that kind of paces mm-hmm. the track a little bit faster you've got some island sounding keys synth going on horns towards the end there's a harmonica in there and um there's like hollow drums shakers and spring reverb i've i've looked up like i i've listened to it intently to try and piece apart all the different things but definitely giving me reggae for sure and then beyond that there's i didn't even notice it but there's vocals that come in and i can't really understand what they're saying the version that's in the, the song here in remake, I hear them saying "weg weg wa," and I don't know what that means. But I think I I thought about it for a while, and I think what it is is in in Jamaica they speak English, but they have their own kind of dialect that's added to it, and they have this term that's that's "wagwan," which uh, it's kind of like "what's up." Essentially, it's a informal greeting of a kind. And so I think the Wag Wag Wah is kind of a white dude or maybe even a Japanese person doing their like reading Wagwan on a piece of paper and then doing their rendition of it. And so I, I had to laugh at that. I was like, what the fuck are they even saying? We fight them and they're not that hard, although they kind of like swap in and out. When you defeat them, they just like lie down ass up on the ground and like Pretend to go dead. Okay, guys, whatever you do, don't move. Don't look. Just don't look. I'm dead. I'm super dead. Once we kick their asses, we arrive at the playground. If you've played original, you recognize this. Of course, well, it's the next thing that happens in the game, of course. But if you played remake, we've seen this in the original cutscene. Very much like we saw the hand. Well, when those kids were playing at the... At the destitute, broken up, kind of ugly playground when they they looked up in the evening sky and saw a Mako reactor wafting, billowing green energy into the atmosphere. They were witnessing it from this playground. We're here now. I don't know that that's true. I thought I saw the Moogle slide. The Moogle slide is also in Jesse's parents' neighborhood Mm. up top, right? Mm. So I think what's happening here is we're still in sector six. We're still in the area that came crashing to the ground. Maybe people went and found an old crash playground that they reappropriated and said, you know, we're going to make a playground for our kids here in the slums too. You can't see a Mako reactor smokestack tower from below, can you? Probably not at the angle she is. I think think those kids are up top in the intro. Fair enough. Nate corrects me again. Boom, gotcha. I think this giant Moogle is a child injury lawsuit waiting to happen. Oh, no question about that. It's got slick, round edges everywhere. It's very high. In OG, when you jump up on it, it's roughly the height of your character. But here, it's got to be at least 9 to 10 feet tall. So you imagine a kid just sliding off the side of that straight to the ground. They're going to break their head. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, but our our heroes, they're adults, so they make it up top. Cloud sits a respectable distance away from Aerith, and she scoots over to 
make physical contact mm. with him. Her thighs touch his thighs. Mm. Her shoulder brushes up against his shoulder. So she initiates the scoot. I just remember before we get to the playground, after we beat up the dum-dums, Aerith asks Cloud, well, why did you leave Soldier? And Cloud doesn't have an answer for her. She asks, do you have any war buddies? And he says, no, not really. Tyler, you uh, played Crisis Core recently. That sounds like a lie that he just said. The repressed cloud has war buddies. The cloud on the surface claims to not have any war buddies. And so he says, no, not really. And with that persona, that is that is that is that persona's truth. But having played Crisis Core and of course playing original where all of the secrets come out eventually. We know that he has had war buddies. He's had uh, Zach. Zach is a war buddy. And Aerith is so nosy. Giving her an inch into that world that is that Cloud has taken such care to protect is just not acceptable. She, she's not allowed to insert herself into this, try as she might. She may even know a little bit of this in the remake timeline. I don't know if that's the case. Having played the game to the end, don't know if that's the case. Cloud does put up resistance when it actually matters because he kind of likes the attention. He plays it off. He plays the cool guy. We'll put a pin in this and in just a moment, we're going to get to something that might also explain this. So let's, uh, let's continue. Sure. Sure. So that conversation seeds the conversation we're about to have sitting on top of the Moogle igloo slide she mentioned Zach. I don't have the lines in front of me here, but what? But I guess I do for original, so I'm able to slide over to original here. She asks what class he was in, and then there's a flash on the screen, very quick, and Cloud says, first class. And then uh, Aerith muses to herself, just the same as him, her first boyfriend. And then he asks, were you serious? And she says, I liked him for a while. What was his name? Doesn't matter. She doesn't say Zach's name. I find it interesting that in the original timeline, she doesn't bring up Zack's name, but in a, but in remake, she does. And the repressed cloud, the repressed cloud won't hear the man's name be voiced. We don't hear it. There's this clever like editing trick that happens in this scene where we as the player don't hear the person's name. What's his name? I probably know him. Are you okay? Something in him is making it so he can't even hear or process the word or the name Zach, right? It's like being filtered out mentally. When she asked that question of, do you have any war buddies? He literally can't access that part of his head of mm. even if it was true that he did, he can't pull on those memories on his own. They're locked away somewhere. The way that conversation started is um, in remake, she already knows that Cloud has said that he's first class because he said so to Reno in the church. So that that's a change that happened in, in OG. She had to ask, what class were you? But in remake, she already knows he said so. And Reno kind of criticized him for it. He's like, yeah, bullshit. She says to Cloud, the same as him. And Cloud says, who? The first guy I ever loved. So, Cloud, you were a soldier first class, right? 
Yeah. Weird. Really? What's weird about it? Nothing. Just that you were the same rank. Huh? As who? The first guy I ever loved. And that's a uh, that's versus in OG. She just says my first boyfriend. Hmm. That I think that's a big difference. Um, there's a lot of additional weight when you say the first guy you ever loved. And I don't know if that's just like a translation difference. If if maybe she mentioned love in the original Japanese version from 1997, or if this is some additional maturity and awareness of her her feelings and her place in this relationship with a seemingly dead guy <laughs> at this time right wait that's that's potential eh, i don't know whatever um but i can definitively say that i did not love my first girlfriend if we're being honest here Aerith hey, didn't get the opportunity to go yeah that's right or no way <laughs> yes exactly she got railroaded I have to feel the same. Yeah. Uh, I would say first girlfriend and not first guy ever loved. I don't know. Crisis core. You played it. Did she love, was she in love with Zach by the end of that game? I suppose it depends on if you built her a stupid fucking flower cart. (laughs) Oh man. So a flower wagon. Let's make one. Yeah, but girl, I'm busy. I've got, I got missions to do. I've got like 900 missions to do. I'm going to Nibelheim tomorrow. I don't have time to find an axle for your, for your, your push crate. You broke that. That's where like, um, in the Assassin's Creed series, you're diving into these like ancient memories Mm -hmm. your character has. And if you do something so egregiously wrong that the hero never did in the past, they tell you you're desynchronizing from the history of your ancestor, you're doing it wrong and you're threatening to ruin the simulation, right? We can't get accurate information on him because of how much you're fucking around in the past, mm. right? And so what you did there, we know Aerith has a a little flower cart up top in OG. So you've now, by not building the flower cart, you've desynchronized from, you've created an alternate timeline, one that we might even be in at this point. Okay, all right. I built the first one, but there's a more advanced one that she asks you to do. And there could be a third one. I don't. I didn't bother to find out, but there's at least two. The mithril flower cart. Oh my God, the mithril flower cart. The diamond flower cart at the end. Wouldn't that be funny if her weapon was flower cart? She just lifts it up and just whacks you with it like a baseball bat. <laughs> or like she's she's pushing it like running full speed, pushing it into the enemy. <laughs> like a like a shopping cart. Yes. <laughs> Limit break. Flower cart carnage. Speaking of carts. Speaking of carts, a big ass door opens on the other side of the playground and an ornamental carriage pulls through. It is pulled by a chocobo or a team of chocobos. I forget how many are there. And there's a man wearing a cowboy hat at the helm of it, so to speak. And it heads off in the direction of Walmart. And who do we see clinging to the back of it? But Tifa in a beautiful blue dress. Or a kimono if you chose differently on what you wanted her to wear on date night. This moment in remake is very similar to original, with the exception of we do speak with Aerith. Excuse me, we do speak with Tifa. In original, it's kind of a mystery. It, it's a, whoa, 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 slow down. We need to shift plans here because Aerith is heading out into Walmart. It posits a mystery. Tifa is heading to Walmart. Did I say Aerith again? Yes. 
Antifa is heading to Wall Market, and we don't know why. We don't know why she's dressed up like she is. We don't know what Wall Market has to do with anything, and we shift plans to figure that out. But in Remake, we get an explanation, or at least a brief explanation, that has us switch gears and head over to Wall Market instead. Now, the giant-ass door you're talking about is the door to Sector 7. As you cross that threshold, you would be back in seventh heaven general territory where the avalanche gang kind of rules and uh, the mercenaries you helped out and everything that's their territory. So we would, if we just go through that door, be back where we need to be. And uh, that was the original path. We would never have needed to go to wall market originally, but we didn't have access to opening that door. Earth actually points out that, um, Beneath the little Moogle, there's like a sewer grate that she opens up and says you can go down below the wall and get up in Sector 7 just fine. And I think we even use that later. I think we do too. And can I say, it's another huge liability for child injury. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, we we have a little chat with Tifa and she kind of tells us, she says, Cloud... Go back to the bar, link up with the crew. She's got this. And Cloud's like, uh, I don't know. And she she delivers the line. It's like, uh, you've seen how much ass I can kick. I'll be fine. And Cloud says, hmm, yeah, I have. I'll be fine. You've seen how much ass I can kick? I have. And he just drops off the carriage like and you know what i think that's kind of a perfect line because like in the original they kind of position this as like a oh no damsel in distress what the hell is tifa doing where's she going dressed like that we've got to go save her and here they just Mm. completely disarm that like cloud's like you know what tifa is a fucking badass sure it's actually kind of Aerith that comes in and she's the one that suggests like no you don't you're going after her and she does it with like her fists like dug into her hips like hell no you're not abandoning her and cloud's like yeah she'll be fine and Aerith is the one she's got the dirt on don corneo and she knows how wall market works she's got the experience and so she knows to say, uh-uh, no, Tifa is going to need some kind of backup. Aerith happens to know that Tifa may have put herself into more risk than she thinks she has, and that's a good reason why we need to go look after her. And I also think that this is an indication here of, back in the day, there was always talk of the love triangle between, you know, do you pick Aerith, do you pick Tifa? We talked about it last time with the audio clip that we included and everything. And to me, it's just here, it's like, so obvious there is no love triangle Aerith is one of tifa's biggest advocates before she even really met her she she heard her name she heard she was cloud's friend and that or potentially cloud said yeah that's my girlfriend <laughs> depending on your choice and uh Aerith is just she's down for the struggle right away there's no like hmm tifa uh i don't know about that girl she's cloud likes her you you know like there's there's absolutely none of that i actually i actually read it read an interesting article about how like basically tifa and Aerith stands would argue with one another back in the 90s infancy of the internet go over their differing qualities and who cloud should really have picked and everything and it's just like god it's so stupid i did not feel that way even as a kid i was like all right 
This makes complete sense. It's all adding up. We speak with Johnny Cowboy here before uh, we head into Wall Market. But first thing I want to say is I want to explore the area around the playground, but there are invisible walls fucking everywhere. Let me explore. I'm on an adventure for Christ's sake. Yeah, you can't really explore. We're kind of railroaded into Wall Market. Wall Market actually, like they said, has its own wall outside the market. And that's where the carriage kind of drops off. This resolves an issue from OG of we see the carriage come through the gate. We dash after it and then we enter the town and there's absolutely no room where a fucking carriage would be driving through this town whatsoever. So remake solves that by having the carriage reception area outside of wall market. Hey gang, we're going to take a break here. Join us again next time where we're going to continue the conversation. We're going to explore Wall Market, get to know some of its denizens, visit the Corneo Mansion, and then go to the Coliseum, in which we're going to get into one of my favorite boss fights in the game. Uh, what was his name again? Koch and Scotch? The Yeah, it's not that hard to do. What is hard to do is read the text in any given Ultimania Perfect Works because it's so fucking tiny sometimes. Oh, goodness. The remains of what would have been Sector 6 from the layer of rubble. The collapse is centered around the edge of the plate closest to the outer wall. So the areas around the main pillar are largely unaffected. As you can probably see, I have another building of Midgard diatribe to go on here. I thought of a ham-fisted way to uh, explain it away, but it's not very satisfying. Magic? Nope. It's a fantasy world. Anything can happen. Not quite. I hate that excuse because it's like, well, it still needs to obey logic. It needs to be somewhat relatable. <coughs> uh-huh. <clears throat> the the only way to get away from to get away from that would be if in world they say, We have a um what's what do they call them? Uh like a it's in it's in all sorts of sci-fi. Basically like a material generator, like you just you punch the thing into the computer. It's like 3D printing, but more sophisticated and complex that they just hit a button and like a car materializes instantaneously, you know? Like StarCraft and Protoss. Yeah, yeah. So that's if you create that in your fantasy world, then you can get away with we built a giant city. We like printed a giant city in a week, right? But you also can't have that world be steampunk anymore then because mm-hmm. that's what Final Fantasy is presenting to me and that's why the setup for how Midgar works completely fails because you can't tell me it was 35 years and then also be a steampunk world as well. Is there a Jamaican version of a weeb? Is there a word for that? I think weebs are weebs everywhere. Weebs are weebs everywhere? Yeah, it, 
unless you're a native Japanese, I might even say a gen, you could, you could have grown up and lived in Japan your whole life, been born there. And if you're have American heritage, you're still a weeb. So if you're a, of Asian descent and you live in Japan, you're not a weeb, but everyone else is a weeb. I I have no idea. We'll have an explosion sound effect. <laughs> Fuck off. The the nail bat flower cart that doesn't have material slots. Oh no. Too abstract, too abstract. I had to use the bathroom too, but the bathroom's next to Ella's room and she's moaning in her sleep. And so I ran outside real quick and just peed in the peed outside. He floats the idea that uh Aerith shit. I feel like Sam Elliott has layers. There's like your parents knew <laughs> like the roles he filled when your parents watched movies. Then there's Le- big Lebowski, Sam Elliott. And then there's like now a new generation of younger people that are watching, uh, like a star is born, like my wife and people. So, uh, he's, he has a long storied career. And at the center of it is that commanding steely rugged voice. In my head, I was going through all of the people with facial hair in uh, the movie Gettysburg. <laughs> Sam Elliott was in that one, too, actually. I, I probably knew all along you were referring to Sam Elliott. Yeah, it's it's too much of a coincidence that his name is Sam, and he mm-hmm. sounds exactly yeah, okay. like him. 